Hey guys, what's going on? David Avalon here with another episode of Breaking the Guard with me and Robert Drysdale. In today's episode, we catch up with Rob, who's been traveling all over the country for competitions and actually the world. He was at the Europeans as well. Uh, recently, he was in Miami where one of his students, Felipe Andrew, had an incredible match with Patrick Gaudio and ended up winning by submission again with a footlock. And uh, <laughs> Robert tells us the details and how, in particular, he uses a footlock differently rather than attacking the Achilles. So it's a very good insight into one of the better footlockers in the IBJF circuit. We then talk about the sumo wrestling match that they had there, which was, uh, I didn't see it personally live, but uh, Robert was there and he said it was the most striking match of the whole circuit of substars. So we talk a little bit how these grappling promotions now are using diversified grappling rules and they're doing judo matches, they're doing, you know, now sumo, you got jujitsu, gi, no gi, and then different rule sets, and how these are ways of making the the spectator more excited by giving them new things to look at rather than the same old over and over. And uh, we then talk about this the submission underground show from Chel Sonnen with the tag team matchup with uh, Vinny Magales and Kyle Baum versus Nick Rodriguez and Craig Jones and the weird outcome that came of that match. Uh, spoiler alert if you didn't watch it, but uh, uh, Vinny and Kyle ended up winning that, but Craig never even got in the match. And it was just really weird. And we talk about the strategies and some of the complaints people had about not enough action. But we take a look at it from both sides, from the spectator point of view, and also as a competitor who's only paid when they win, how important it is to win and how the rules are a big factor. That ends up leading to a whole bunch of conversations. Uh, we end up talking about uh, corrupt promoters, like one stealing money from my brother. We have... Uh, uh, Ken Peters becoming an overnight sensation on TikTok because he cut open a bale of hay. And uh, finally, I give Robert some insight into a book that I read, No BS Time Management from Dan Kennedy and how it could save his sanity. So we're all over the place here, but it's, I think uh, it's a very fun conversation me and Rob had and a lot can be learned from it. So go ahead and enjoy. Before we get started, we'd like to thank one of our sponsors, which is DrysdaleBJJOnline.com. Now, DrysdaleBJJOnline.com is Robert's online video portal where you can access all of the courses under his library. And he's got a whole assortment of them from his favorite uh, guard passes, mount escapes, submissions, all sorts of useful information. And recently he just released a course uh, called Footlocks in the Gi, or Leglocks in the Gi, from Felipe Andrew. And if you just heard, Felipe Andrew just tapped out Patrick Gaudio with a straight foot lock. And that's like his specialty move. So a very on point, good timing for Rob to release that course. And then this happens. I would definitely take a look at it because uh, it is a unique way of attacking the foot lock. And I'll be honest, I haven't been doing it that way. And I probably will start doing it now that I've seen the efficiency of it. Because a straight ankle lock, Achilles lock, sometimes people can eat it. And they don't really, you know, like, you can try to straight foot lock Dean Lister. It won't work. You can try to straight foot lock me. It's very difficult because we know certain tricks that allow you to be loose. And it, it makes it very hard to finish. But this particular variation that Felipe is doing doesn't really, you can't really prepare for it. Because it's attacking a unique part of the foot. So you'll, if you listen more to the podcast, you'll hear it. But 
it's better that you just get the videos, learn from it. Uh, just go to drysdalebjjonline.com to learn more. Hey guys, what's going on? David Avalon here with Robert Drysdale for another edition of Breaking the Guard. Robert, what's going on? Same old man, grinding away, happy to be here, talking jiu-jitsu and things related. Sometimes a little off topic, but normally Dave brings us back to jiu-jitsu, but yeah. You know. You've been traveling quite a bit, I know, you, yes. for tournaments and competitions, so why don't you fill us in? Um, yeah, man, we just had a, um, uh, an event in uh, where, you know, Felipe fought Patrick Gaudio, managed to submit him with a footlock. And I saw that was kind of, uh, it was a pretty crazy exchange at the end because it looked like yes. he was, chin- uh, Claudio was almost getting him in the arm bar and yes. then he switched it over and then I saw him get the footlock. I'm like, Robert's been saying this. <laughs> yeah. He looked pretty nasty with the belly down. He's yeah. vicious with that footlock, man. It's so quick too. And it's, you know, there's a picture like, Felipe has it somewhere where you can see the footlock from the other side and you can see that Patrick's foot turns into like a V shape. Like he <laughs> bends it. It's it's not a quite a ninety degree angle, but it's like a forty five to ninety degree angle sort of thing, and you can, it just looks nasty. Like his foot just goes in this weird angle, and you know anyone who's felt it knows that he. Just, it's, it's crazy part is like how explosive he is about that footlock when he locks it, like he'll just jump for it, and it's a lot of pressure, a lot like very fast. And you're saying that he does it like a high footlock where he's more folding the middle of the foot yes. rather than the, the ankle yeah, itself. Yeah, he doesn't attack the Achilles; he attacks yeah. the end of the foot. So when you feel pain, you're feeling pain on top of the foot and almost like your, your toes are getting smashed, you know. And I, I like to attack it like that as well. But Felipe has this explosiveness that just most people don't have. So when he goes for it, you got to preemptively tap in order not to get hurt. Yeah, because I can imagine that's probably a lot worse as far as like damage-wise. Yeah. You're probably just tearing all tendons in the well, foot. It's all these little small little bones, right? Yeah. The first time I saw this footlock, because normally you say think straight footlock, you think, <coughs> excuse Achilles, me. Yeah. I think the Achilles, right? Like Dean Lister <clears throat> attacks the calf. Yeah. He, like, I, he's shown it to me, and it's like unbearable. Like it's crazy. It's a crazy amount of pain. But I can't do it to people. Like Dean Lister, I'm going to show you. Like he attacks like the, the insertion yeah, of the Achilles with your calf. Yeah, I'm able to get that one, and that one works pretty well. But I do it on the cross grip. Yes, I've, on the cross grip. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you try to do the same side, like it doesn't bite the right. But, 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 cross but grip. Dean is Dean, right? Like he's yeah. just like a weirdo and just, you know, um, but he does it really well. Most people attack the Achilles. I've been attacking, you know, this is the way I teach it. Kavaka does it like this too. And Felipe does it. We attack like the end of the foot, right? So you're like pinching the toes underneath your armpit. The first time I saw that was uh, Budo Challenge 2005. Um, Shinya Aoki fought Cameron Earl. Okay, yeah. And Cameron Earl had just defeated Marcelo Garcia in that tournament, right? That's a huge win. Yeah. And then I'm thinking, well, this guy who just beat Garcia is going to beat this Japanese guy, right? And Shinya Oki footlock Cameron. And it looked like a normal footlock. But afterwards, I bought, like Cameron, like he seemed to be complaining of pain on top of the foot. And I'm thinking, why is, why is he this top, the top of the foot hurting? Why is it not the Achilles? And I never understood why. Like something, maybe he had an injury already. That's what's going through my head. Years later, like after I started attacking the foot that way, that's when I understood it's a much better footlock. Because some people, I always give this example. Imagine trying to footlock. You see like a big Samoan, like big ankles. Try to straight footlock and see what happens. Yeah. And good luck, right? Because the Achilles is so big, the ankle is so big. It's very difficult to get that sort of bite on the, on the Achilles. But on the end of the foot, you got all these little tiny little bones. 
and you can't really strengthen them. Like they're pretty, generally speaking, pretty weak. So when you apply pressure on them, it's it's far more sensitive than the Achilles is. Yeah, it's a different uh, thing. Like most people don't do like toe raises. Like it's funny, I was just doing them today. You yeah. know, like uh, I'm doing like a superset where I'm doing calf raises and then I do toe raises where you get like a kettlebell, put your toes and you lift up, and it gets like the front of your shin, like where normally people complain about shin splints. So it's like a good opposing group, but like people I've never seen anybody. I'm the only guy I've seen that does it in the gym. <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean so like strengthening that is very minor and even then like you're doing like 30 or 40 pounds and that's probably about yeah. your upper limit you know so you get someone like Felipe cranking on you <laughs> no 100% I'm sure it's a lot yeah. more pressure than that yeah yeah, and it's one of those areas of the body it's like very it's how do you strengthen that like you know I feel like other parts like joints in general are hard to strengthen but when you're talking about the foot like if you see an X-ray of a foot, it's like a bunch of little small little bones. Yeah, it's yeah. not what it's not like your shin or your forearm. You know, like it's one big bone. It's it's I don't know even know like tens maybe hundreds of little tiny little bones. So when you're applying pressure on those guys, you're gonna feel it a lot faster. I can't imagine what the damage would be if someone's foot were broken because it probably wouldn't damage just one bone. It would probably be I don't even know what kind of damage it would be, but it wouldn't be pretty. Yeah, it's never good to break any toes uh, or anything like that. Yeah, so pretty vicious. And especially I saw in that finish, the belly down just makes it so much worse. You know, because you can really arch into well, it. Well, you put your body, gravity goes on your side. Yeah. The thing about the belly down, too, though, there's one downside of going belly down on a straight full lock is that you have to adjust. If you if you have to adjust a full lock, you can't. Yeah. Once you commit to going belly down, it's, it's all gravity and power from there onwards. There's no adjustment. Unless it's fully adjusted, right? And then you're fine. Normally, they tap even before you belly down. But if you're if you're going belly down, you're gonna have a hard time adjusting the full lock if you have to, right? Yeah. So I normally recommend people adjust it as much as you can for as long as you can before you go for the kill. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, because once you go belly down, it's really hard to make any adjustments. It's kind of it is what it is at that yeah. point, and then the bailout is also kind of ugly on your end too. Yeah. So yeah, so that was a very uh, interesting matchup. But we else? had a, we had um, I mean the best part of the event was the sumo wrestling. <laughs> that was amazing, man. That was so much fun. Yeah, that, I saw that they had Anthony Johnson in the little <laughs> the sumo Anthony nightmare. Johnson is the uh, other guy who fights in the UFC. I forgot his name now. <sighs> anyway, but like they brought these two sumo wrestlers from Japan. One of them was, you know, humongous. He was 400 pounds plus. The other one was like 190 maybe, 185. Oh, wow. okay. He was like, I, you look at him going, I'm like, I can take him. You know, and it, it because in my head, Sumo was all about being fat, and that was it, right? Just fat people pushing each other around. Like, it, it was watching them. It was the first time I actually watched it, right, paying attention. It's very technical. There's a lot more technique to it than people give it credit for. Uh, and, you know, Anthony Johnson and the other guy, I forgot his name, like, they were getting schooled, man. Oh, Even the yeah. little guy was throwing them around. I couldn't believe it. I saw Anthony Johnson just get picked up like a child and just yeah. thrown out. Like, ah, like they yeah. were tossing him all over the place, man. Yeah, yeah. The, the, there is definitely a lot more technique to it. Uh, even their approach, because you can see sometimes people rush, sometimes yeah. they don't. Because the rushes could also be dangerous because then they get tripped. If the guy yeah, sidesteps, yeah. you know. But if you stay still and you get rushed, then you're getting run over. So it's, it is definitely interesting, you know. And, there's a dynamic to it, and yeah. like it became very interesting because they're short. Yeah. They go on for like 15 seconds. They're not long. Which makes it good for a grappling spectator, right? Because the layman can watch it and not be 
you know, bored or not understand. It's pretty simple to understand. Push them out of the circle. That's about yeah. it. And, uh, yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, you know, I think just about every school has a sumo game that they do. and with, you know, Kids, I, but always with, with kids. kids yeah. but we do it with adults, too. I yeah. mean, it's fun, you know, and it's a good workout. And, it's a simple yeah. form of wrestling. Yeah. It's very basic. You know, you just got to get them, take them down. You can't put your hands or knees on the ground, yeah. right? You can't get taken out of, out of the circle, which is pretty straightforward as it gets. It, it is entertaining, though. I was surprised at how fun I had watching it, how much fun I had. Um, a lot of people don't know this is going to come as a surprise, but sumo wrestling was the, the original precursor to, to, to judo. A mm. lot of, you know, it, it, there's this, you know, I always thought, I assume, because you hear this myth so much, that judo and then hence BJJ come from the samurais. The samurais honed all these arts throughout the ages, and then later that became judo and later became BJJ. You know, I've actually, I, I actually thought this for the longest time. It turns out that after, because we're researching this for the documentary, that the samurais had nothing to do with, with judo. Mm. It's like the idea, like when you put it in these terms, it makes a lot of sense. So the idea that someone's going to go to war with arm bars and kimuras is yeah. ludicrous. Like it's kind of like sending soldiers to, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan with like self-defense techniques. Like you wouldn't even, you know, you might learn a thing or two, but these guys weren't really that concerned with learning what we call jujitsu today. Uh, most of the techniques were coming from Western wrestling. Western wrestling in judo, right, had a huge impact in judo. A lot of people don't realize that, but Jigoro Kano was heavily influenced by Western philosophy, thought, and Western wrestling. And so if you want to trace our roots, they actually go to the West. You know, they don't actually start in the East. And then sumo wrestling, which is something indigenous to Japan, but sumo wrestling, and, and if you look at a lot of techniques in sumo, they do resemble Kodokan techniques. A lot of, you know, the a lot of the throws are very similar. Yeah, yeah. Right, so uh, there's that link there, and that's something we're still exploring more because I want to insert that in somewhere in the documentary we want to talk about this, but it's it's been difficult because you got so many stories, so different angles you can pursue because you're talking about really something that should be like a 20, 30-part series. Yeah. Condensed yeah. in an hour and a half, right? So it's like Mission Impossible. But, um, yeah, like the, the role of sumo and judo and then hence BJJ is... Those are our roots, you know. People are watching the event, and I don't think they realize that this is not just entertainment. These are our roots. Like we started here. Yeah. That's very interesting. I yeah. did not know that either. Yeah, I know that wrestling had some part of it. I've always I've read that catch wrestling actually had a good influence as well, yeah. and going both ways from yeah. my understanding. But yeah. a lot of like the hammerlock and kimura stuff, where yeah. I think was catch wrestling first, or I forget which way it went. Well, in Brazil, at least, catch wrestling had a huge influence in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It wasn't just judo. Um, until this day in Brazil, uh, armbar is referred to, referred to as arm, arm lock. Oh. Knee bar is uh, leg lock. Uh, the kimura, I thought that was just uh, people butchering it. No, no, no. The leg locky and arm locky is how that's what you would call a knee bar and arm bar. That's, from catch, that's not Japanese. That's from catch wrestling. Interesting. And, I thought uh, they were the, the, the one refers to it like that's okay. the, That would be the correct. Shavaji braso would be the correct way to refer to it. Like, that would be like arm bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no one called it arm locky. That's what everyone says. Mm. The kimura, some schools call it kimura. Many schools call it americana. Okay. Americana. So um, you probably heard that before. Yeah, Brazilians yeah, yeah. referred to as Americana, right? They didn't get it from the U.S. Contemporarily, they got it from catch wrestlers traveling through Brazil in the circus days at a time where BJJ didn't exist, right? Uh, another one, Helio Gracie actually cross-trained with catch wrestlers. A lot of people don't know that. Luta Livre, guys. Yeah. But he actually used them as training partners, so there's some influence there, too. 
uh, George Gracie, um, you know, one of the founders of MMA. He was very influenced by catch wrestling too. He was very active in nogi. He had a really good, he had a good rapport with that crew, like the the the, the nogi scene in Brazil. That's what's so interesting about these discussions about contemporary jujitsu, and the, it's it's not so different. Very little has changed. Like the the appetite the crowd has to being entertained all the time, like something you got to give them something new. That's where the sumo comes in. That's where the quintet comes in. That's where the do the we're talking about the, um, oh, the tag, the tag team. team, right? Like the crowd, they want something new all the time. They get bored very quickly. Yeah, it was the same thing then, right? The interesting part is they back in the day they drifted to fake matches because you know real matches just stopped were not as interesting as the fake ones. So I wonder if BJJ because we're already doing tag team. If at some point it's going to get drifted into fake matches, coordinated matches, more pro wrestling oriented. I don't know. Because right. the crowd is so eager to be entertained. I don't think they would care. We had a fake uh, stage match in, in grappling match in Japan recently. On the contest Sakuraba and uh, is it Takanori Gomi? I think you're right. Yeah, yeah they, it, was, it was a fake grappling match, right? And the Japanese know it's fake, but they don't care. Yeah, it's like you're seeing a ballet or something, right? Yes, it's that's a, what it's they're a looking performance at. performance piece, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, Hicks and Grace and Hoyler Grace and Pride. Yeah. They had a stage match. Like, the Japanese are completely okay with that. Well, my question is, at some point, will, you know, jiu-jitsu and the grappling world drift towards that? And I hope that doesn't happen. You know, I, but, The way I yeah. would see it is just... Uh, an extended form of a kata, right? I mean, yes. Yeah, like I remember I told you I did the first grappling competition I ever did, yeah. but uh, in there, there was a lot of traditional martial arts and they were doing their katas and we were watching people do katas and stuff, you know, but it would be the grappling kata pretty much, right? We're just yeah. seeing, if, if it was done right, I would get, okay, this makes sense. Like we'll show like a, a solid sequence of exchange of techniques and how ultimately you would want it to finish yeah. out. But uh, I don't know about adding the pro wrestling antics into it. <laughs> See, I don't know. Like, it, it, wh- where is the line? You know, because it, you know, people know that pro wrestling. Yeah. People know that pro wrestling is fake, but they don't seem to mind. They're still having fun. They work nine to five, and when it comes time to get home, they want to drink a beer and be entertained. And you know, I'm more and more accepting of that now because, like, being like like ten years ago, like, oh, I hate pro wrestling. I hope it didn't. I wish it didn't exist. No, is there harm to it? Everyone, you know, it's there's no real harm, I guess. I still don't like something that I love, you know, being associated with fake matches, right? But you know, I think there's a tendency that the audience has to be they want to be entertained at any cost. Like think of the Gladiator times, yeah, just for even sure. further back. You don't think the Romans had to get creative? You think just gladiators? They, at they, some point, they had like gladiators versus animals, animals versus animals. Yeah. They had fake like naval battles that was the craziest thing to me yes when i was in there they would actually flood the coliseum and put boats in there like so like to your point like are you not entertained <laughs> yes <laughs> where does it end where does the appetite to you know uh, towards entertainment end is there a limit to that like you imagine that the romans have had what we have now, the type of crazy stuff they would have been putting yeah. together, you know, like it goes with your nature. Would have yeah. been guns versus knives, or like you yeah. know, they would have used like the weird, like electronic stuff and telegrams and oh, hundred percent, do, do all sorts of weird stuff, you know. So even the UFC, the bad motherfucker belt, what yeah. is that if not a, a way of just like reaching out to the public and going, we're breaking the rules here to give you a belt that doesn't exist, just for your entertainment because these guys are really good at talking smack to one another, you know, and 
And, you know, it's something that goes way back. Um, I think yeah. you did touch a good point, though, where mixing up the different grappling styles in one contest. I know Fight to Win's been doing that, and I guess Substars did it mm -hmm. as well. Not a bad idea, right? Especially when you can mix them up with a higher pace or quicker action. Because if you watch, like, 10 grappling matches, like, some of these shows, I understand that they have to get as many different schools as possible, so you'll do, like, 20 matches. And, like, especially with, like, Emmy amateur MMA shows, it's like, Jesus Christ, it's like 18 fights in the car, I'm yeah, like, oh my God. I know. And, and then my guy's the main event, like, God damn, <laughs> I'm here all night. <laughs> you know? But, like, if they mix it up more, like you said, like, you know, they, they do, like, the kickboxing and MMA, but now those are still both kind of slower-paced matches. Yeah. But if you do something like sumo or, or, I don't know, like, it would change it up a bit. And like you said, you, you won't get that fatigue. When you see the same thing over and over and over again, you're gonna get tired. Yeah, you know it's just like when you're refing, and we talked about it last time, like yeah. you, you just start losing your guard. Um, and, and th yeah, there's no way out of it. And the the thing the public is kind of you know tired of you know the same stuff over and over. They're worn on IBJJF rules. I think they're kind of worn on submission only too. If you ask me, that's why the, these new things are coming about. Interesting, we had. Lovato and Cyborg, which are like legends of the sport. And we had also had Gordon Ryan versus Tex Johnson, which was a great fight. And we had some other great fights, right? I think Maggie fought uh, Luisa Montero. And there's some really good fights on the card. What stood out to me, I can't speak for everyone else, yeah. was a sumo. Yeah. Like, that's the one I remember. Of course, I'm super happy for Felipe, but the one that stood out, the one that jumped at me, was the sumo. Right? That to me is... Uh, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was so different, right? So, yes, I agree. I think that, you know... But when they bring other styles, like the cross matches with wrestling, there's a lot of that going on. Um, it just does bring new audience to the sport as well. Because there might have been someone who's a sumo fan watching jiu-jitsu and vice versa now. I would watch sumo now. I would have never considered it before. Next time I go to Japan, I was actually in front of the arena where they have the official like sumo grand tournament. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what you call it. But I was there. I took a picture there and everything. Next time, if I ever go back to Japan, I actually want to go watch yeah, yeah, that would that'd be Assuming happening. tickets aren't a fortune, which they may be. <laughs> Probably a small fortune. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cut a right arm off. Like, thought, sell, uh, sell your, your kidney. Yeah, watch yeah. sumo match. <laughs> but uh, with the different style of matchups, the other one that we had mentioned earlier was the tag team grappling. Yes. Right? So I think that was a submission on the ground by Chael Sonnen. And props to Chael for throwing this event out. You know what I mean? And he's been putting him up pretty consistently is giving another venue for grapplers to compete in to me it's crazy because now like you could say i want to become a professional grappler and it's an actual career path at this yeah. point you know you can make a decent living doing that but like, when me and you started those <laughs> that was an investment it was a very it was an investment idea. with like exactly there's yeah. no like it's not like Oh, there's a one percent chance I'm gonna be rich. There's there zero chance. You were doing it because you are absolutely in love with what you're doing. Yeah. The only prospect was winning ADCC. Yeah. Which like now doesn't even sound that incredible. Like at the time, like ten thousand dollars, and I think it was like forty for the open and yeah. super fight, and the weight class was ten. But at the time, that sounded like oh, well, I'm rich. Yeah. You know. But now, yeah. compared to other professional events, it's like standard. Yeah, the, like the tag team, the main event was. Um, Vinny Magalesh and uh, Kyle Baum versus Nick Rodriguez and Craig Jones. And it was a $25,000 prize for one match. Yeah. So, I mean, hey, that's pretty damn good. That's really good. Yeah, for one grappling match, mind you. So, that's even better. Yeah, it's you know? really good. So that's not bad. But uh, 
uh, apparently the the rest of the card was really good from what I heard, but the main event just was a stinker. And uh, uh, I guess both guys in the regulation, it was Vinny with Nick. They never tagged out, and Nick never passed the guard. Vinny never really advanced outside of you know playing from his guard. Went into overtime, and in overtime, Kyle Baum was able to outlast uh, or escape quicker than Nick Rodriguez. Which to me is a horrible criteria. I hate that criteria. Yeah, I'm not a fan of it, but people were giving them flack like, oh, they should have done more action. And what I think Vinny had said, which made sense, was, He's in there to win. Yeah, right? I was going to say. And the, the strategy, you know, beforehand is like, look, if they're going to leave this guy in there the whole time, we'll ride him out and then get someone fresh in the overtime. You can't, and, you can't hate the player. You got to hate the game. Once you create yeah. the rules and then people are like, you know, on the, on the edge of what that, those rules permit. You can't get mad at them. Like no, that's their no. livelihood. Like Levine's got, he's got kids, man. He's got bills to pay. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, as a fan, I don't like it. Yeah. But as a practitioner, I understand it. 100% makes sense. I would have done the same move. I would have done the same thing. I've done the same yeah. thing. When I, when I went to, uh, it was like 2007. It was a match before yours. When I went to go against Zanje, I'm like, okay. Before the match even started, I'm like, I told myself, I'm going to beat him in double overtime. Because I knew I wasn't going to pass his guard. I mean, I yeah. think his guard's never been passed yeah, yeah. <laughs> forever. And he's, at the time, he was more technical than me and all that. I'm like, I'm going to have to outgrind him and outhustle him. And yeah, he had, he had just won IBJF open weight class. Yeah. He was the number one guy in the world when you beat him. Yeah, so like I, I have to drag him into the deep waters. And he's yeah. bigger than me. I know he's going to get tired faster. Yeah. And I'll beat him that way. You know, is it entertaining for the fans? Absolutely not. You know? but no, like, no. But, but I mean, that's the only way I'm going to beat this guy at this point. You know what I mean? Like at, at that point <laughs> with my skill set, that was the only way I was going to win. So, I, you know... Lame, I guess, but like that's how the win, the match was going to be. So won. you just touched on an interesting topic. This is like, and I want to, I want to think about this because people, and I think we might have touched on it, but like it's such an interesting point because people go, oh, if you know, I don't for personally, I don't like advantages or some of them. I think in some situations they're warranted, others not, right? Sure. So, but you know, in rules in general that you don't like, you're still going to use them in your favor when you compete. And then he goes, oh, am I a hypocrite for saying I don't like advantages, but again, using an advantage to win? I don't think so. No, you, you, you I don't think yeah. so. I don't like, I, would I, if I had the powers to change the rules, would I? Yes. Because I don't, I have to accept the rules as they are. I will use them to my favor. 100%. You know, yeah. and there's a part of me that goes, oh, um, oh, for example, I, I've done this before, right? I think that IBJJF should be harsher on stalling, even though they're pretty harsh these days. They're way better than they used to be. Almost to the point where, like, okay, it's enough, right? But let's say they, like, let's go five, back in time five years. Let's say they, they were not that harsh. I don't like that. I wish they changed that. You know how many times I've won by stalling? I'm not proud of it, but I've done it. Like, I'm tired. I'm yeah. up by one advantage. I'm like, you know what, man? I'm not going to risk anything. And I think everyone would do that. The person sure. who says, like, oh, no, I'm hardcore. I go for the submission nonstop. No, you might be so much better than the person you're going against where you can actually do that. But if everything were on the line and you knew you were winning... And all you had to do was like hold back to win a world title. I think 100% of competitors would do that. And just you, secure the title. And you would be foolish if you didn't. Yes. Right? And I think you're a bad, a bad competitor. If you, as a coach, I'd rip you a new one if you did it. Yeah. You know, there's a time to take risks and yeah. then there's time to not. And, you know, when, like you said, when it's like 10 seconds left or 30 seconds left and you're winning by a big lead, you don't need to do anything goofy. Uh, as a coach, I say, okay, 
stay in control be smart those I, are code words for stop I, yeah i say conservative <laughs> this is what just be conservative that's what i tell people like, be smart yeah be smart like that means stop <laughs> Uh, it's it is code like, word yeah because no one wants to say stall yeah you go, yeah, go stop stop rap would be like oh okay call it no but you're you're right and it's it, as if if anyone who's ahead of an organization and if I promote anyone is in charge of making up rules you need to um, you know be aware of these these glitches that competitors are exploring exploiting because that's what they should do the competitors that's their business is to exploit the rules to their favor as best they can yeah right? um but you know i think that explains why ibgf changes their rules every year every year they have a new rule set and it's like they're trying to catch up with the competitors because jiu-jitsu has become such an intricate game it's kind of gotten so highly sophisticated it's hard to keep up, man. The competitors are very smart. Like even Mike Musumese, we had him here, man. Like, yeah. You can see he's a very smart competitor. For sure. You know, he's like, he's like, he straight out says, yeah, I go for the full lock, not because I want the full lock. I just want the advantage. So the guy comes up into my guard. I'm like, brilliant. That's what that's one's going like. Great strategy. And if you watch him, he does that every single one of his fights. It's his it's his method of, of winning is pretending he's attacking a submission. Right? I mean, he'll, I think he caught someone a while ago. I just I was just watching him, but at the Europeans. But he normally doesn't finish people with that full lock. It's more to get the person to come up and defend. Right? So, you know, uh, fans got to be more understanding. That's, that's what it comes down to. Yeah, because ultimately, I do agree with you that the responsibility of making the match entertaining falls on the rules. Yes, not because the athlete. Yeah. competitors are trying to win, right? And yeah. if, you, if you step back, they're fighting if they're a professional because they're trying to make money to support a family, to support a living, right? So winning comes at all costs to like a, a diehard competitor. So you can't blame them for doing what needs to be done to win. You know, and in this case, um, like with Vinny and Kyle, it's a smart move, right? Like to me, it's uh, puzzling why the other team uh, between Nick and Craig never tagged each other out. Yeah, and, I was and, just thinking and that, then yeah. Nick did in the overtime. Nick stayed in, so Craig never grappled. So it was actually Nick versus Vinny and Kyle, which is really weird because Craig is such a great jiu-jitsu competitor and very dangerous. You know, so could it be because Craig is injured and he just didn't want to? I don't know because I'm thinking because I I know for a fact that he got reached out a while ago by a promoter to fight one of our guys and he didn't want to. Normally he would have accepted it. Yeah. Um. Maybe he's injured, and that, that was the agreement. That would make sense to me, and they were just like, they didn't want to, like, I don't want to not show up, and Nick said, Let, leave it to me, I'll, I'll do it. And, you know, I don't know, right? Yeah, but, but it makes no sense that they would have not have brought him in if he was fresh. Yeah, I, I have no idea why, but he did say on his, I think on Instagram, that he wanted to return his show money to Chael Sonnen, but Chael Sonnen refused, you know? So that's kind of cool. He, he on, tried, both of, on both, on, on on both, both of them, parts, yeah, yeah, on both of them. For sure, I think more in Chell's part because promoters, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> take it. Oh no, man! Like it's I've seen people. I've been. Uh, have you been ever been uh, um, duped by a promoter? Like not been paid? Uh, me personally, no. But my athletes and stuff, yeah, yeah. it's happened. People... Like I go and I win and like don't collect my prize. They just I'll pay you next week. Gone. Yeah. Never seen. I tell you, it happened to my brother in the same event I was competing in. Uh -huh. Uh, well, what they did, they jipped him on a, a decision really bad. Like, I remember we watched the video afterwards. It was in some small Texas promotion. 
And if you would have scored it by IBJJF standards, it would have been 20 to 2, my brother. And they gave the decision to the other guy. And they said, because aggression. Like, like, I don't know <laughs> how that is even possible. Right. So it was the one time that we can call that I grappled mad because it was just before me. And my brother did a little hicks in. He threw a water bottle on the table. <laughs> he was pretty pissed. And it, it turns out what happened was the guy that he was competing against, I guess, was a friend of the promoter and wasn't getting paid if he won, whereas my brother was getting paid if he won. Oh, that explains. So they were willing to... And the yeah. event bombed, right? So I'm like, this is probably what happened. And so then I was go up, and, they, and it was against George Pereira. Right. I remember I was furious. I'm like, I, remember I ran through George Pereira after that. But... uh yeah, so that was the one time I know that my brother That's got That's crazy, man. But yeah, I was That's like, crazy. He's just trying to save money. That's He's just trying to save money. Well, the correct thing for a promoter is to have the money yeah. set aside even before he starts to promote the show, right? Yeah. I mean, I understand that you know, when you're promoting events, there's a big gamble. I've promoted a lot of events for grappling and whatnot. But you can't stiff competitors. Yeah. You know, to me, that's like a... As someone who's competed, I don't want that being done to me. On the other side, so I'm not going to do it to other people. You know, golden rule right there, yeah. right? Really scummy behavior, though. I remember guys who were writing. I mean, uh, not to speak ill of the dead, but back in the day, the guy who ran World Extreme Fighting, uh, Jamie Levine, he would be writing busted checks all the time, you know? Yeah. And I remember people would keep fighting for him. I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, no, dude. And, I, but it's like, oh, it's not going to happen to me until uh, it does. <laughs> Did I tell you this? Like a while ago... Um, there was the last Metamoris, who actually took place inside the Gracie Academy. Did I tell you that story? No, 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 no. But I know. So that. the last Metamoris took place inside the original Gracie Academy with the green mats, right? And I think it was Ralic versus Gordon, if I'm, if I, if I recall. It might have been, yeah. And they had offered me that match, hmm. uh, not Ralic, they offered me and Gordon. I'm like, well, I'm retired, yeah. not interested. But you know, if you guys pay me really well, I'll take two, three months out of my life. Yeah. I'll put everything else on hold, and then I'll go out there, and I'll throw up, give him a war. You know, I'll give him my very best. You know, he's, he's sharp. He's really, you know, he's a very dominant competitor. I'm, I've been retired for over 10 years. So it's a, it's, a huge, it's a huge investment on my part to go back into training mode and just for do sure. that, put in all my seminars, my classes, my businesses aside, and just focus on that, right? So I go, okay, this is how much I want. I ask for 50 grand, right? Oh, he can't pay you that much. He can't pay you that much. They brought it down to 30, right? And I'm like, okay, I'll do it, 30 grand. And then they go, okay, we'll pay you after the show. <laughs> no, yeah, no. And then I'm like, uh, no, that money's got to go to an escrow account, right? And they're like, no, 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 we'll be, we're good, we're good. We're going, no, I know of your guys' reputation. You guys put that money in the escrow account, we can make this happen, right? And, um, you know, so that was it. And then they, and they, they couldn't find anyone because no one would do it, yeah. right? That's why Rolick himself ended up, ended up grappling. You know, the whole thing was a flop, obviously, didn't. I mean, they, they had the, the event inside the gym. So what does that tell you? Yeah, yeah. You know, the, 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 the glory, glory days of, of Beto Morris are way well behind us. They were the first session. Now that I think about it, they were like, the, the, they started the trend of professional events. Because before that, there was not a lot going on. Like, there were some sporadic ones before there, that. but like There were, but they were the first ones that were consistent. Consistent, putting stuff out. But, you know, unfortunately... Sometimes being first is not the way to go, because what you you've done, what you've done is you blaze the trail, but you've taken all the expense. Yeah. Right. And now everybody else, as you fall off, this is going to take off right where you left. They build the momentum for everyone else. Yeah. I still don't know what metamorphosis means, do you? No. (laughs) 
<laughs> I actually Googled it once and nothing came up. Just a tournament. I'm like, it's got to mean something. Right? It's a weird... I, I'm assuming, like, when I hear Kasai, I, I don't know, I never researched it, but yeah. I'm assuming it means something. It's like, it's probably something in Japanese, right? It's got to be. Right? Well, you would think so, but there's brands that are, you know, Haagen-Dazs, right? Yeah. It means absolutely nothing. Really? It's a fake word. It's not, it's not a German brand. No, not German, Dutch, or anything. Because I thought it would be German or Dutch. That's yeah. the first thing that's going through my head. Oh, for sure, this is Dutch ice cream or it, German ice cream. It's an American brand. They just, Haagen-Dazs. They just named it Haagen-Dazs because they know, oh, it sounds like... Oh, oh my God. So now, I, I, it makes me not want to ever have, have Haagen-Dazs again. <laughs> yeah, so now, instead of paying $4 for the same ice cream, you're going to Unbelievable. I actually thought it was like some... You know, it's the first thing you, you think... When, it's just like the, the problem with all the assumptions we make about shit, right? I thought it was like, oh, there must be a family somewhere in Holland that's been making ice cream for <laughs> 600 years, you know? And this is like some family recipe. Because it's, that's what it sounds like. It's, it's super expensive. Yeah. It's very boutique, right? Yeah. Uh, it's a very European name. You know, I want to say like Dutch it or German. European. It sounds like, you yeah. know, that way. You know, maybe Scandinavian, right? And so, like, it's got to be good because it's that expensive. It is delicious. But... Yeah, that just ruined you. Just ruined it for me, Dave. It is just all marketing. It's made by Dryers, you know, who make ice cream for Dryers and all. Really? Yep, yep. Same company. It's just kind of like Toyota and Lexus, right? So let's come up with a new brand of jujitsu. Let's name it something else. Like, let's make up some crazy name and charge people more for it. Yeah, exactly. You can say Kosotagare. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Come up with something. No, but it's it's interesting because, you know, it, it does. You know, look at how many people they tricked with with that. Like they just came up with it. It was brilliant. Yeah, it was brilliant, and they they so many people fell for it. I wonder if there's. Now I'm trying to think. Well, how can I trick people into giving me their money? <laughs> right, <laughs> come up with some. You know, but it's um, that's exactly it's brilliant marketing. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, I had no idea that was it was a made up name. It is. You know, even a lot of stuff. Good branding goes a long way. Coca Cola. You know Santa Claus, red and white. Coca Cola, Coca. You know yeah. where that comes from, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know uh, the, the the image of Santa Claus being red and white was developed by Coca Cola. The original Santa Claus was green, right? I believe it, it was a it wasn't a festive outfit. Yeah, because it was supposed to be a different origin story. But Coca Cola branded him in their in their in their branding, and yeah. then they put him in red and white. Yeah, and now that's the symbolic image of. Santa, that's brilliant. You know, and that was made by Coca Cola, which is you know again pretty wild. That it would a beverage company. Well, it's a thing. <laughs> it's, like, has co- created what is probably the most important holiday in North world. America. Yeah. You know? Well, so, probably in the. I mean, take out China and India. I'm not sure what their holidays would be, but yeah, in the Western world for sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That whole that, that that's wild, man. But Coca Cola at that point, they would have had such a huge budget for marketing, and Santa Claus was not that big of a thing, probably. So it would have been easier to make the image of Santa Claus a red and white Santa Claus, right? Away from green. Um, interesting. Like you go to Turkey and they swear Santa Claus is from Turkey. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a saint. I don't know if it's from the, the Orthodox religion or the Catholic religion. But, uh, and then in Finland, they swore it's from Finland. Now, I would think it's from Finland, but apparently there's no saint from Finland. Mm. So maybe, I don't know where the... The origin of Santa Claus, but it's not green or white. It's just like a normal saint. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but um, yeah, man, like I, the, the marketing thing is wild, man. Like it's such a, it, it's today too, man. It's just one of those things where so many people are doing the same things. Like the internet has been flooded with like attempts at selling you shit. Like I just scroll past everything. I don't listen to anything anymore. 
Like, how do you even capture? I was thinking about this. How do you capture people's attention? Like, just any kind of sale. You're trying to sell them like a book, trying to sell a DVD, a membership. It's so hard to catch people's attention because people are just scrolling through. It's like pitch after pitch after pitch. We are overwhelmed with sales pitches. It's like you're going down a subway tunnel and there's ads all across the walls. You don't even you don't look forward. You're like, no, leave me alone. Like that's the best pitch right now. Just like leave the customer alone. Like whatever company leaves me alone is the one I want to give my money to. You know, it's pretty wild. You know the who was it? Kent Peters, I think. Who? Kent Peters. You heard of? He has an Instagram, good following. He's like supernatural here. He has a uh, school in Canada, I think. He has a farm. And he's been doing jujitsu videos forever and really good instruction. And I guess he started a TikTok account. Yeah. And just, you know, for shits and giggles, he sh- showed a video of him cutting open a bale of hay. Yeah. And he was like, whatever, you know, it's just I'm doing something, I'm going to film it. Yeah. That became like his most popular video. And he got like millions of views. And now he, his TikTok went from like whatever to like tens of thousands of people. Why? I don't know. People like the way it looked when they, because when you cut the bale of hay, it opened like, up a certain way. Yeah. I don't know. I saw him like I don't get it, but like apparently it just went viral. See, so you, know? you have to you have to surprise the public. That's what it comes down to. You can't give them the average. We can't give them what they have seen. Like you probably did something no one's expecting, and that's why it blew up. I don't know. So no, 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 because you got people now, I guess, from outside of jujitsu circles that just whatever reason like someone cutting open a bale of hay. So to me, it's stuff like that. Like he's he's jokes about himself. I'm like, I guess I got to cut open more hay, right? <laughs> you know, you know, the thing though, like, like people tell me, like, Rob, you should post more. Rob, you got to do this. You got to do that. I'm like, what the fuck's got time for this shit? I got job, man. Like I got work to do. I don't have time to like. Do, like my daughter's like on TikTok now. Like I, I let them start like a TikTok account, yeah. and they're like, Daddy, Daddy, I got six followers. I'm like, Oh fuck, here we go. <laughs> you know, and they're like doing videos and stuff, and I let them because it's, it's it's pretty innocent. You know, I, I just monitor like who there's yeah. one talking to them you know but if they right. want to post videos it doesn't bother me but um it's it's crazy man like it's, it's it's a lot of work like they'll spend like i mean they're little but so they spend a lot of time you know editing the videos and putting it together i'm like i don't have time for this like if it were like a five second thing i can see myself doing it but you know sometimes the posts like you spend like you know every now and then i gotta I want to type something my finger starts so i use like my laptop to type something because it's a little bit more dense and it takes a good 20 minutes of your day, depending on like how, how much time you want to put into the post, if you yeah. can do it right, right? And it, it, takes, it takes a lot of your time. And I'm just not willing to give that much of my time. I really want to hire someone to do it, you know? No, so I, if, you're, I, if you're listening and you want to run, do all my social media, you might have a job for you. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I forgot who was it that said it, but I think actually it was Joe Rogan. And... Uh, he was talking about in the past, people would play computer games and go on the computer on the internet to get an escape from the real world. And now, like, people go into the real world to get an escape from the internet because yeah. people are on it all the time. We, we, like, we're people go on vacation yeah. and camping, say, like, oh, now I'm detoxing from the outside. A yeah, tech diet. Yeah. That's what I call it, a tech diet. And you, you got to go through that. It's actually very peaceful. Sometimes when I travel, I have my phone on airplane mode. I could turn it on. Like I'm on Verizon, it's like ten bucks a day, yeah. and I have like my normal data, right? But you know, I'm a cheap bastard. Plus, I kind of enjoy not having my phone on all the time, so I only get the Wi-Fi when I'm at the hotel, whatever. Yeah. And then I'm like flooded with like fifty messages. I'm like, fuck. So for the next hour, at least, I'm like replying. But then I am free from my phone for the next twelve hours, and then I have it for an hour. I have to reply to everyone. 
and that's actually it's actually crazy but it's so much it's so peaceful i almost want to have my plane on airplane mode all day like even here and i just reply to people when i get home and i have wi-fi so yeah. it, it leaves me it gives me a break from having to reply to people immediately i'm actually i might start doing that man because it's it, it's so my i'm averaging like six hours a day on my phone screen time Right. And it's all repl- yeah. it's all work. I don't bullshit. I play yeah. Clash of Clans. It's like three minutes, you know, <laughs> and then that's it. And everything else is work, work, like replying to people, doing stuff. And it's consuming so much of my day. It's actually stopping me from being productive in a way that I know I, I can be productive. And I want to be productive in that way, right? I would tell you when I told my brother a year, oh, years ago, I remember Lloyd Irvin introduced me to his marketing guru, uh, Dan Kennedy. And Dan Kennedy has a book called uh, No BS uh, Time Management, right? And very fun book. Dan's an excellent writer. Makes it easy to read. But one of the premises is that having a phone on you, a mobile phone, is essentially inviting people to interrupt you whenever they want, right? Bingo. That's it. So his thing was don't have a mobile phone. That was one. The extreme option was don't have a mobile phone. You have a landline, or that's all you need. And you got to train people not to think that they can access you whenever they want, that there's specific times of day that you're accessible. Just like a business would be, right? Nine yeah. to five or whatever. Yeah. You know, and for him, if you're an executive that's very busy, you can't even have that. You need someone to screen your calls because the last thing you want is a telemarketer wasting your time. And we, especially if you're in a creative field, like, you know, where we are. You get into a flow state at a certain point. Usually when you start a creative project of your writing or you're doing video or editing or whatnot, you have to think for a moment and then things start to come together and then you get a flow, right? Just like grapplers. You start grappling and you get into a flow state. But if someone pulls you away from that flow state just for like a minute or two, now it's like starting all over again. It's like, okay, wait, where was I? Shit. All right, you, start you over. You just describe my day, man. Right. That's so exactly like, what happens. So those interruptions that can come in all the time will, will ruin you. You know, you're, you're going to be very unproductive as a result. So that's why secretaries were and are important because they they are a layer of protection. Like you imagine, they you have a shield around filter, you. Filter, yeah, yeah. They filter so only the urgent information that needs to be dealt with at a, right now gets conveyed to you. Otherwise, if it, it's bullshit, take it out. Or if it's something that could be delayed to later, delay it to later. You know, like maybe you have a designated time where you answer calls five to six. This is when I go through all my emails or go through all my calls. So he has this particular strategy that he incorporates. What's it called? Uh, no BS Time Management by Dan Kennedy. I, sh- I should. Right? I, I remember I, I had told, because I had read the book. and I, I actually my, really want to read that. Yeah. I told my brother, check it out. My brother read it, and what he did, he got rid of a cell phone. Completely. Completely. And then he would essentially take calls at the gym, and that was it. And, you know, if anything was urgent, they emailed him, and then my brother. How, how did he talk to his wife if he has to? He didn't. Yeah, he would just have to wait till I get home. He would go from the office. He would call her and whatnot. Because the the excuse is always, "What if it's an emergency?" Everyone's like, "Emergency." That's why I got to buy my seven year old a cell phone because it's an emergency, right? What if? But so everyone's worried about that one moment where you absolutely need to find someone, but that never happens. It's always the bullshit you got to deal with. Yeah, I mean, when you were a kid and when I were a kid, we didn't have cell phones, and we managed to survive. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's an emergency. You go to a, a phone. One you know? one, yeah. Or you you flag the hundred million other people with a cell phone and hit the lane. So I wait, think yeah. it's very rare. But he actually recently he got a cell phone broke down, 
I think partly because he needs to film and he, he liked having the phone to be able to film and access the internet. But um, you can still practice it, the same thing, which is that every time the phone rings, people are conditioned to be like, oh, my phone. Oh, That's me. Yeah. You know, it's like, what are you, a rat chasing cheese? You're like, the, the phone ring. Like for me, when the phone rings, I don't run at it. I just, okay, it's ringing. And I try to make my ring as subtle as possible. So I just know it's a call. And I don't answer all my calls. Like I'll send that to voicemail and then I'll call that person back later, right? No offense, whoever. Yeah. <laughs> I got something more. No, but like, you're right. right. You're but, right. Or like if it's a text message or something, like, okay, I'll shelf that. I'll, I, I'll I need to learn how to do that because I become so impulsive on my phone. I can't stop myself from replying. Like I have to reply right away. And I'm pretty good about it. Like I'm normally, if I don't reply within like three, four hours, it's because I'm really busy. Um, you know, in very unusual situation, I forgot, right? Very unusual. Normally, I reply right away. I'm yeah. really quick about it because I got so many I got so many things going on that I know that if I don't reply right away, I'm probably going to forget. So I got to do it now. For sure. But at the same time, I've become a slave to my phone because yeah. everyone knows they can reach out to me anytime and then just my, it just takes all my day away from me. I would love if I didn't have a phone, I would 100% get rid of it. Uh, I think I'd be more efficient if I didn't have a phone. But at the same time, like a big part of my job is communicating with people. So I don't know how that would work. You see, so the way you got to see it, that you want your phone, like, uh, and again, I think paraphrasing from him, having a, a cell phone on you is not necessarily a bad thing. Because when you want to reach out to people, you want that ability. But having an unfiltered incoming call going into you is not desirable for productivity purposes, right? So... The whole thing is, yeah, you can have a cell phone, and if I need to email people or text or call people, I do that. But I want to limit the amount of time that people are able to contact me and interrupt the flow state. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, you just have to be able to block your schedule accordingly. Like, okay, you know, if I'm going to be doing this marketing project from 10 to 1, I'm not taking any calls or anything like that. Like, sometimes I just put my phone on silent at that point. Like, I don't even... I don't even hear anything. And then when that time is done, okay, one o'clock, okay, I got these calls. See, I, I've done that. I, I have my phone on silent. I have yeah. all my notifications off. I don't have a single notification. The only notification I have on my daughters. When my daughters call me, that notification comes up. Other than them, no one else, right? But I become so impulsive about checking my phone that while we're talking here, I've had like two or three instances where I wanted to reach for my phone and check it. <laughs> yeah, It's an instinct. You just get used to that. It's a habit of checking your phone all the time that I want to break because you're right. What I might do, man, I, I'm honestly thinking about only having my phone on for like, maybe like I said, two, three hours a day and I'll reply to everyone I got to reply to and I'll put it back on airplane mode. And if I need to reach out to someone, I can switch it back on yeah. because it does interrupt me a lot, especially like when I'm reading or, you know, working, doing something like my thought process gets thrown and I got ADD, man, for me to, I, when I get in my, my rabbit holes, I'm very focused, like right. laser focused. But for you, if you push me off that track, sometimes it's like I can't even get back on it. No, 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 like, especially when I'm writing. I, I know, I'm good, but when I write, I lock myself in my room, don't knock on it, because like, it takes me an hour or two to warm up. And after that, I'm like, I'm very productive, I feel like. But, you know, if my phone rings or someone texts me and I have to reply, it just uh, it prevents my creative side to manifest itself i get stuck in this production go 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 you know um you know you become like a slave to, the, to, the, to your watch to the time yeah. you know like everything's in and i truly believe that in order for you to be creative you have to be idle there's no creativity 
that's going to come from being busy. When you're busy, you're getting shit done. Creativity as in like, I'm talking about art. I'm talking about writing, right? These things require inspiration, I feel like. You have to be sort of quiet. I don't want to have my best moments, my inspirational moments, right before I go to bed. You know why? It's the one time of the day where everything is quiet. I don't want to check my phone. There's no music. There's no sound. There's no one. It's just me. I go quiet and I go inside my head. And then that's when I have my best ideas because it's idle, right? When I'm on vacation, which is not very often, but like if I have like quiet by myself, I'm just walking around chilling by the beach, that's when I feel like my best ideas come because I'm like my brain is actually able to think, Yeah. right? Because if I'm busy teaching class, answering phone calls, replying to texts, like giving out orders, I don't feel I'm very productive. Like, and productive in a different way. I'm productive in I'm getting shit done way, but not in a creative way. Right. Yeah. Being in a creative field is a different challenge, right? Like I've done other things where it's, there's no creativity required. You just have to be able to do hard work and, and whatnot. And that is not mentally stressful as it is physically, right? It's just you're, if you're doing manual labor or something like that yeah. and you already know the process to build something, then you're just doing the computation, yeah. right? Whereas when you have to think about how to solve a problem or you have to create something to solve a problem, it requires a different state of mind. And what you said, it, it's different for everybody. But yeah, sleeping is usually around a good time because like you said, you're relaxed, you're kind of in a meditative state and your, things are able to come out. You know, when you're really busy, you, know, you don't have the mental space to do so. You know, yeah. you're, you're already trying to handle all the other crap that's going on in your day. You don't have time to be creative, right? So yeah. I, I think that's why like setting those block schedule is important where like you block out a certain amount of time. Okay, this time that's what I gotta yeah, do. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. like ten to one, marketing time. That's it. There's nothing else yeah, going on. Yeah, yeah. Phones off or phones on silent, you know, and I'm just doing that. And you if you that's gonna give you the best odds, especially if you have a regular schedule where every time you're doing that it kind of helps set you okay, this is my time to work, you know. When you're a lot more sporadic and random, then it's it's trickier because like you could be doing anything at any time. That's me. Like my day, I don't have a set. People ask my schedule and I don't have one. It's just like uh, I start my date around 8 a.m. and I don't stop till 10 p.m. Yeah. That's my, like, well, I'm not even exaggerated, bro. Like those are my days, right? Yeah. Um, and it's, I'm busy all day, but I'm not always productive. It's, it's hard or creative yeah. for that. It's all just right. like, and I'm like, what did I do today? And I'm like, I can't name a single productive thing I've done today, but I haven't stopped. Right. You, 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 it's like reactive, right? Yeah. Where like there's situations arising and you have to react to them. And, and yes, and, and yes. Forward, but you're not able to do anything. In that same book, it talks about that, how they say executives only actually have 18 minutes of, or it was some ridiculously small number of actually productive time a day because the rest of it is if they're not organized is reactive they're just dealing with the, the small crises that are going on and yeah they get yeah. pulled from one side to the other before they're okay what am i actually going to do to help move my agenda forward you know they just don't get the time so like that again that it's like a pitch for this book <laughs> and I get uh, he's, right. he's getting royalties <laughs> right, if you're wondering but dave like, is owner of the printing company but like it goes over the strategies of how to layer yourself and protect yourself and it even has a concept which it calls, yeah. it's, it's funny, it's called time vampire. Yeah. Right? And these are people that just sink their fangs in you and just drain all your time. It's like the person that just wants to talk BS with you all day. Yeah. You know, like, 
and you're you're trying to get away from him, but you can't. But now, like, it's you really to be polite. Yeah, you have to be polite. But now, like, an hour of time just got drained you away. Know what my biggest peeve is this drives me crazy. I'm a very objective person, and I yeah. feel like I can be very productive. I'm a very go 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 kind of guy. I hate when people repeat themselves. It's like people like the sound of their own voice, and like, tell me what you need to tell me. Say it in 15 seconds, and then and normally people can say it in 15 seconds. But they'll take three minutes to say it. It's like they enjoy repeating themselves over and over and over <laughs> for some reason. Like I got it the first time, man. And I'm right. I, I'm actually getting becoming a dick about it. I interrupt them. Yeah. And I move on to the next one. And then they try to go back to repeating what they said. Oh, oh, I understood that. I already got that. And it's impossible because the second you start doing that, now you're rude. And I'm like, but at the same time, I don't want to repeat hear it again. I got shit to do, man. I gotta yeah. go. I can't be like listening to your story over and over and over. Just tell me what I got. I need to know and let me get go get it done. <laughs> this reminds me. I was just watching Curb Your Enthusiasm. I don't know if you, you watched it. What is that? Oh, probably you got to watch it. It's great. Is it comedy? What comedy, is it? comedy. So it's uh, Larry David. He's the guy who produced Seinfeld. Okay. So what people don't know that Larry David essentially modeled George Costanza after like an exaggerated version of himself. Who's Costanza? I had never watched Seinfeld. Oh, Jesus Christ, Robert. Here. I know, man. I know. I, know. I missed I was in Brazil during those years. I missed all of that. Yeah. I've so, heard of it, but I've never this watched is, this it. This is a really eccentric character that's socially awkward. Is he the one with the funny hair? Oh, he's the one that's bald. That's Kramer. Kramer, okay. Kramer is a, he's another, uh, he's a really eccentric guy. But George Costanza is just like a, this is a really a head case kind of, yeah. you know? And puts himself in always awkward positions by yeah. lying and trying yeah. to get out of it. So uh, Larry David in Curb Your Enthusiasm, he plays himself, again, like an exaggerated version of himself. But awesome. He's just a very blunt guy, like, and he has no BS, yeah. you know, no fucks to give, yeah. <laughs> to put it bluntly. So he had a similar situation on the show where like, this guy was trying to explain something that was very obvious. And like he just kept coming out like, I get it, I get it, just stop. Yeah. Like, okay. You have my phone number? You're calling me on the phone. Of course I have your number. Just stop. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that type of thing. It's funny. I think it's a great show because yeah. it highlights what everybody's uh, maybe identify too much with the, yeah. the character, but everybody has those thoughts, you know. But they're usually yeah. they don't say them because <laughs> yeah, they don't want to yeah. be socially awkward. What's this, it called again? Uh, Curb your enthusiasm. Is it's, it on Netflix or is it? It's on HBO. Okay, so it's like a it's like ten seasons or whatnot. It's a pretty fresh show. It's always pretty funny. Very politically incorrect and all yeah. that. So it's refreshing, you know? yeah, yeah. So it's really funny, but it, it kind of goes to what you're saying, where like we're in polite society, we have all these filters, right? Like, because we don't want to offend people, or you know, you don't want to cut someone off and hurt their feelings. But if we were mature enough and we could just remove all the filters and just say what's actually going on, without people being offended, then you have a much more clear cut communication, right? Like, yeah. But if we have to play with all these rules, then it's like a calculation. Like, okay, like everybody gets into a situation, like you get invited to some type of party that you don't want to go to, right? Yeah. But how do you refuse it? Right, like, oh. You lie. Well, yeah. people, a lot of people lie, right? Like they make a story up or what. Because you don't hurt the person's feelings. Yeah, so your idea is, well, if I lie to this person, they're like, oh, it's a good lie. You know, they, they believe the story, their feelings are not hurt, and then I'm able to do whatever I really want to do. Yeah. Versus if I just say, hey, look, I just don't want to go. You know, like. And now you're a dick. But yeah, and I was like, oh, what an ass. You know, like I, I took the time to invite him to this special event that I'm planning, and he's not going to show up. Who do you think up. he is? Exactly. Too good for my party. Yeah. Yeah, I remember at a point like there was like some dispute, and I was uninvited to a wedding. I'm like, oh, okay, that's it. That's it. Me. I, I, I know. Like, 
If someone told me, like, if I don't have a party, like, I'd rather just don't want to go, I don't think I'd be offended. Like, maybe a little bit. Like, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't see myself caring that much. No, I'm right? not a party person. Yeah, and I almost appreciate the honesty, like, because people don't talk that way. You know, I, people like, they, you know, you never know when they're bullshit. I like genuine people, right? So I always, I always say this. I want to vote for the politician that walks up there and goes, yeah, I, I cheated on my wife once. I smoke weed almost every day. I, I've done cocaine about five times in my life. I didn't have, if any politician went up there and actually told me the truth, I'd be like, I like that guy. You know what I'm saying? You know, because they know it, where they stand. Yeah, exactly. You're like, hey, man. But you know what? And then he's going to say, you know what? I really want to do this, 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 and that. I'm like, okay, there's a genuine guy out there. Because this whole like perfect persona, the, the, the whole PR industry is an industry designed to exploit like the, the glitches in human psychology. How do you present yourself? You always smile. You look them in the eyes. It's all that whole uh, Dale Carnegie. What's that book? Uh, how to influence people? How to, how to yeah, exactly. It's like it's like it's this trying to try to trick people to like you. Like if you're a piece of shit, that works too, man. That's not genuine, right? But it does work because the second you look with someone in the eye and you speak with confidence, people believe whatever you say. You know, that's how con artists get away with it, right? So. I don't. I, I I like the people that will give me the, the 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 truth, the naked truth. And if it hurts my feelings, I might get be upset for a day or two. But I know myself. Day three, I'm always gonna go. That's a good friend. You know, I prefer those people. I think you do too. Like most, I think the real people. Because it's, I can't stand the the the, the BS. Man, people are smiling in your face. Oh, I like you. You're my best friend. I'm trying to stab you behind your back. There's so much of that, man. You know, and I, I mean, when I hear people. When they try to present themselves too perfectly, I'm always like, oh, there's something fishy about this. Yeah. You know, I, I'd rather hear the, the rotten side of, I know the rotten side of something of a person. It's not going to make me like them less because of it. It just shows their, their humanity. Exactly. You know, I, and I think that's one of the things that everybody is so worried about uh, hiding their flaws because they don't want to see yeah. people like, oh, like I've erred or I've made yeah. mistakes. Because everyone's got to be Jesus. Stupid. Yeah. That's like, you know, you understand those same thoughts are exactly held by everybody else, oh. right? So why are you hiding it? Why are we playing this game? But, but, right? it's, like, it's, but you have to play the game. Yeah, but, we, but we've all embarrassed ourselves at some point, right? Yeah. Like, you know, like for me, when I was in school, I was terribly shy and just had a fear of failure and rejection. And uh, why, though? Because... When, you, when I grow up and I look at my young younger self, I'm like, dude, what are you worried about? Yeah. <laughs> like any any dude who's you know it doesn't matter has been rejected by you know tons of girls. Yeah, you know? and, and there's something there's something wrong. Yeah. if you've never been rejected. Exactly, like, and so it's, it's, it's no big deal, right? Yeah. But like when you're younger, you think it's a huge deal. It's just like anybody who their first love and they get broke broken hearted and yeah. they fall apart. It's like yeah. man, dude, that's. Happens to everybody. Yeah, that's yeah. A, you move on, dude. It's you, not a big you, deal. You want to that you you want to go through that because exactly. it's one of those experiences that once you go through, it, you're like really happy that happened. Yeah, exactly. It's like you a know? vaccine, man. Like you need it, you know. So it's just a matter of like I'm looking at my younger self. I could see all these mistakes that I had or these wrong ideas that I had, you know. But now that we're older, it still seems that people still have the same ideas, like. And they're still trapped and not being real. Yeah. You know, like I can I can tell you the truth. Like I, I try to be as honest as possible because I know whatever I've gone through, somebody else has gone through. You know, like and it's not like, oh, you've done this horrible thing. I mean, I haven't murdered anybody like that. So <laughs> I haven't done any egregious crimes, so I have nothing to hide, you know? And I think when you're able to open up that way, 
it makes you a lot more interesting because you can reveal like nobody wants to hear about somebody's all perfect stories yeah. whether they're true or not it gets boring right we do what do people like to hear they like to hear the rags to riches story right yeah. it's a, as old as time because we could see ourselves in some part of that continuum you know what i mean whether we were at the bottom or at the top and we can visualize oh that might be me someday and i might make that right you know but if you just put the story of a billionaire son becomes a billionaire it's like well nothing really changed right like he started here he ended here it's a yeah. very boring it's story not, there's not even merit to it right yeah. but if you have someone who's a billionaire then becomes broke and then he yeah. shows up you know and then it's like there's stuff going on that's every happening. good biography whether it's in a form of a book or any any story it has those ups and downs right like you know you're bottom of you know the bottom of everything you pick yourself back up and you know and even if it at the end you don't win i'm still interested yeah because i i it's um it's a reminder of of our humanity and how flawed we are and you're gonna take some 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 falls and i always hate those falls while i'm going through them i was like why is this happening this is bullshit oh yeah i'm dramatic like histrionic like i'm i get pissed off man and then when it's all over, it's always like, oh, I'm so happy that happened. Because you do come out a little bit stronger, like of a little course. bit more mature and a little bit better. And those are the ultimate lessons, man. I value those things more than anything. It's like getting caught in a triangle. You get caught in a triangle so many times. After a while, you stop getting caught in the triangle and you realize your defense is amazing because you got caught so many times. Yeah, you know all the different ways to yeah, get caught. There's no, I mean, look at, look at, I was just thinking about this. There's, um, there's this period in Brazilian music that was very productive. So you have to understand Brazilian music to understand what I'm talking about. But it was like, you know, like it was like the 60s to like the mid 80s. It was very, the best music Brazil has ever produced, hands down. Beautiful music, well written. Like, um, it's, you have to listen and appreciate it, right? Brazil was a dictatorship during those years. Mm. You were not allowed to think, you were not allowed to read certain books, you were not allowed to, like, you, there was no free press, there was no. There was you know, one political party, and it was a very brutal dictatorship. But it was very, very productive in terms of music and literature, right? And then I go today, Brazil's a democratic country. It's opened up. You have like 100 political parties, and there's no repression anymore. And the music has gotten to shit. You know, I always, sometimes I think if like the hardship of the times is what allowed that creativity to manifest itself. Whereas, you know, now it's like you have all the freedom to write and produce and we end up with the equivalent of, you know, like, I don't know, what's crappy music that everyone agrees is crappy but everyone listens to? Trap rap? Like, that to me sounds horrible, you know, but yeah. some people maybe they like it. I don't know. I don't judge. But it's not as, I, I, you can't compare it to, you know, maybe in the U.S. it's similar. Maybe it's got, music's gotten increasingly worse. But I always think that it's, it's hardship that really brings the best out of us. That was my point. You yeah. know, like, no, I agree with it's, you. It's during those moments of, of, the, of pain and suffering and struggle and, you know, in this case, political repression, that the very best of people come out. You know, the best, the, the, my, my favorite part of human nature. And then when everything is really easy and really soft and really, you know, almost too comfortable, like what, really, what good comes out of comfort in terms of creation? Yeah, not much. You see what I'm say, saying? They say good yeah. times make soft men. You know? Really soft. And yeah. like not only that, like when I'm watching people, I'm going like, all right, man, you have all these tools on the internet and what do people do with it? 
Right. Like, think about it. Like, yeah. the internet has, like, on my phone has more information on it than all the libraries in the world. You know, and yeah. it's still, like, look, it's, it's used for gossiping and trolling and just stupid shit. Yeah. yeah. And that's uh, just the, the sad part of human nature, right? Because you are correct that we could literally learn about anything in the world and become yeah. experts in probably multiple fields if we really endeavor to do so. Yeah. But, most people are spending their time looking through Facebook feeds and Instagram pictures. And I do too. I'm guilty yeah, too, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I'm I'm not I'm not pointing yeah. fingers. I'm part of the problem. It's just like I'm just pointing out like the shitty aspect of human nature. Yeah. Right? Where we could be doing amazing things with our with our minds and instead we get sucked into like stupid trolling and arguments and what else? But I think that in itself is kind of showing how good life is where you don't really need to prioritize on building new skills or whatnot because things are going well already. Yeah. Right? Like, if I could guarantee, well, I would guarantee for myself at least that if I was destitute and broke and fighting for survival, I wouldn't be looking at my Instagram feed and, you know, like, oh, what's this new Jiu-Jitsu 100%, move? yeah. Right? I'm like, I got to bust my ass and try yeah. to make something happen, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, in one side, that is good, but we have, like, like these first world problems, right? Where they're first world problems, and they're breeding like idiocy. Like yeah. it's it's just making us worse. I feel because, yeah, it's it's make us made us soft. And unfortunately, it's very hard for people to challenge themselves when they're already doing well. Yeah, right. It's one of the trickiest things to do is to be able to push the envelope on your own. I mean, that's why we have coaches, right? Yeah, an athlete by himself. Just training on his own can only get so far. And however far he can get on his own, even if he's super determined and, and you know disciplined, a coach is going to get him further. Yeah. Just because the coach can push where he cannot see, he can be pushed. But uh, we have to be able to, I think that's why it's important to have mentors and to have coaches in, in everything that you do. Because I agree. whatever you're doing, okay, I think I'm doing good, but I can push you a little bit more and you can get a lot more yeah. performance out of it. And there's also accountability, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, if I'm working on my own, nobody's walking, looking over my shoulder. I'm like, you okay. Can stop anytime you I want. I can relax a little bit. You know what I mean? Let me pull up my, you know, yeah. Facebook feed. Extra, see what's going extra on. minute break. But, like, that, yeah. if you had someone over your shoulder the whole time, you're like, well, yeah. I can't goof around right, right some, now. Someone you respect and you want to impress, too. Yeah. Someone who you're trying to, um, trying to, like, make proud. Exactly. You so know, it's it, just like if you were going to be grappling and you imagine you have like Hicks and Gracie watching you you're not yeah. going you're not going to be goofing around at that point you're yeah. like okay I, let me show the master like I, I earn I deserve his respect or whatnot you know or I want to impress him or whatever the case is yeah, that type of pressure is like a, what I would consider a positive pressure and mm. whenever you can have that it's going to force you to be better is it stressful? yeah it's, it, it can be stress but stress doesn't necessarily mean bad right stress is just you know it's pressure you can use that to create good, or it could be used to break yourself down, just depending on how you're able to rally. Yeah. You know, so that's why I think doing sports, and particularly for martial arts, is such a good tool for anybody because it's very easy stress management skills. Yeah. There's nothing more stressful than someone trying to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Simulated no, murder, right. as yeah. people call it, right? But, yeah. And if you can handle that type of stressful situation and come out smiling, yeah. everything else is a joke. Yeah. I mean, that's why I always thought like 
once I started doing high school wrestling, and to me, that was brutal. <laughs> hardest thing. Or, or, hardest thing yeah, ever. I'm I like, what, homework yeah. is what? I'm just looking at a book and playing. It, it does make everything else seem yeah, easier. Like, whatever. I'm like, yeah. dude, I was deprived of food and eating malnourished and yeah. being forced to cut weight and coach yelling at me <laughs> and someone trying to throw me. Like, what? I, I, I am struggling with a book? <laughs> the book can do shit. You know? <laughs> I could beat this thing. So, like, yeah. I put everything in perspective. Like, that's why I went from, like, in high school, I was just like a, yeah, like an okay student. Yeah. And then when I went to college, I just used the same mindset that I had for competition. And yeah. I was a magna cum laude at the top of my class. Wrestling is a really good school for life. I agree. Yeah. and I mean, I mean, But that applies to any yeah. hard sport. Like I think training jiu-jitsu or martial arts is going to get you. Jiu-jitsu is commercialized. So you, if you did, if you ran it like that for, you, for my kids program, you lose all your students. You got to water yeah. it down a little bit because the truth is most, most children can't handle that. Even wrestling, that they're selected. Like there's a process. You know, you're gonna get the really tough ones, and then you push that threshold, and then yeah. someone, some of them probably fall through. Eventually, they can't keep up. But it's, I think, it really does prepare you for you know that that sort of hard training. I believe children should go through that every now and then, just to really toughen them up and give them a reality check. It's like, hey, man, and it's okay if you break. Yeah, as long as you, you pick you yourself are, you back up, you are going to be broken. We yeah. be, we've been, I, we are way too soft on children, if you ask me. Like, I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I, my daughters, I try to, you know, I push them, not as much as you know my grandpa would have liked, but yeah, you know, kids got to be pushed. But you know, going back to your point, Dave, like you know, everyone says it's it's cliche to say, but pressure creates diamonds. Yeah. You know, the, the lotus flower is born in the mud. You know, and then that's I think these are all symbolic of you know, of our own, of ourselves and how we grow and how we develop. Absolutely. So I always say, like, if you feel like you're overstressed, you should just take pause and pull out a piece of paper, write down everything that's bothering you. What's going on? Are you suggesting I write a novel, Dave? (laughs) Are you suggesting I spend the next 15 weeks of my life writing shit down? Let's do the top 10. Okay, okay, top 10 I can do. What are the top 10 things that are stressing you out? And a lot of times, like, people float these in their head, right? Like, you have things that are stressing you, and people are oh, what's going on? Well, like, I got this and that and that, but you're never able to quantify it, right? You're not making it real. No. It's kind of in the ether. Yeah. And as long as it sits in this little brain cloud of yours, like, you can't really get a hold of it. Yeah. And so it, it could appear larger than it is. Yeah. Right? Or just overwhelming. It's like, okay, you know what? Let's just put it down, make it real. Okay, what? I have this car payment that I'm late on, or I'm having this problem here. Whatever your problems you, are. You, right? you got to stop, take a deep breath, yeah. and... I agree with you because like some of the chaos like just builds on itself and it doesn't help. You got to like take a step back. Let's reset and let's see what exactly I have to do that's urgent and what's not. Because a lot of times what's urgent gets all mixed up with what's not. Yes. And that's a lot what happens to me. Like I end up like spending a lot of time on shit that's meaningless and or given the same amount of time to think the stuff that's really important. So creating a hierarchy of relevance is, is very helpful. Exactly. And I feel like once you're able to put all that down, then you know, okay, you know what? Maybe this isn't as bad as I thought it was. Yeah. And you say, what's the high priority item here? Actually, it's this guy. You yeah, know, this is yeah. the one that I need to stop. It's kind of like if you're thinking of the human body and you have a broken finger, but you're bleeding out here and you're trying to fix the finger, like this can wait. Yes, you know what I mean, I yes. need to take care of this guy right now. Yes, you know? that's, and it's, but it's, sometimes it's, this could be a lot more distracting to you, right? Yeah. Because maybe I'm internally bleeding, but I can see this. I'm like, ah, this is really bad. If I could follow half of Dave's advice, I'd be fine. 
<laughs> but like, I probably go back to my like default setting, which is like try to do everything at a time. Anyway, Dave, I gotta get going. Man, what a pleasure! I had yep. a lot of fun. All right, team. Uh, you know, train jujitsu, stay healthy, eat healthy, sleep well, stay away with people with with a with, with a cold. I'm fucking freaking out about that virus. Um, Stay safe. I'm going to start wearing those masks pretty soon. I think it's overblown. I, I hope it, it is. But I, yeah. I, I do freak out about that stuff for I, some it, reason. Oh, correction. If I was in China, I'd be really, really, yeah. really scared. But other than that, it, I don't think it's as big as a deal as people make. Yeah. Like, I think in the U.S., you have 35 cases out of... Shit's a lot of people, man. Well, because out of, what, like 300 million people? It's I know. It's a very know. small amount. Yeah. And I know because I have a camp going on in Thailand... And some people are concerned, like, oh, because, you know. But Thailand also has 35 cases. And the 35 cases that came in were from a bus that came from China, a Chinese tourist. They stopped the bus, quarantined them, and there hasn't been a new case since. Okay. So, again, there's a lot of alarm. And I understand the, the scare. But when you look at the numbers, like I went to the CDC website and I went to the, I forgot the other one. And well, they, media likes they like it. That's how they live. The media yeah. they live through headlines. Without headlines, they don't have a business. Yeah. Long, long story short, right? So Absolutely. it gets blown out of proportion. Yeah, but but virus, look- I can't fight a virus, man. I can yeah. fight just about almost any other. I can fight animals, man. I can fight <laughs> bills. I can fight, you know, like a, a recession, a depression. I can fight these things. A virus, I can't. You know. Anyway, um, guys. Um, um, we're out of here and we'll see you again next week. I hope you guys enjoyed and yeah, ciao. Thank you for tuning into the show. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as me and Rob did. And uh, if you guys have any comments, feedback, suggestions, all that good stuff, you can send it our way. We're on social media. I'm David Avalon, Robert at uh, Robert Drysdale JJ. And you can find us on our website, breakingtheguard.com, with all of our latest podcasts and links to our social media as well. Thank you, guys, and see you next time. A final word from one of our sponsors, the Kimura Trap System. You guys already know, if you've been listening for a while, I'm Mr. Kimura Trap, the one that came up with the term and the system back in the late 2000s. And uh, as you can see, in pretty much every grappling show, there's people doing Kimura Trap something or other. It, if you don't know what Kimura Trap stands for, it's the concept of using the Kimura as a grip rather than just a submission. And once you come to that understanding that the, the Kimura as a grip can be used to sweep, uh, takedowns, throws, escapes, guard passes, and of course lead into other submissions, there's pretty much nothing you can't do using a Kimura. I can go Kimura to leg lock, Kimura to choke, Kimura to triangle choke. You could do anything with a Kimura because it's such a great grip. And the Kimura Trap System course is going to teach you from start to finish everything that you can do with it. It's now over 11 hours long with the online content, has a 110 page ebook, mind map showing you how the moves connect, and much more. You can visit the website kimuratrap.com where you can get some free preview videos and you can order the full course, which is right now $50 off for a winter special that's ending actually really soon we're about to get to spring so make sure you go ahead and order uh, before that offer expires visit kimoratrap.com to learn more